Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here and we are back for a sixth season of the Logo Geek podcast. To kick things off, I'm excited to be interviewing Michael Janda to discuss the interpersonal skills they don't teach you in design school, but really should. But before we do that, I want to thank FreshBooks, who has sponsored this season of the podcast. FreshBooks is an accounting software designed for creative professionals that's so simple to use that you'll be saving hours, uh, which means that you'll have much more time to focus on logo design rather than doing the boring admin work. It's crammed full of features such as creating branded invoices in about 30 seconds and the ability for your clients to pay by card right from those invoices, meaning that you'll get paid faster too. It's definitely well worth checking out for yourself and you can do that with a free 30-day trial just by heading to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and enter logo geek and how did you hear about us section. So this week, I'm honored to be joined by Michael Janda, who's a creative leader with more than 20 years experience in both in-house creative departments and agencies, working with some of the biggest brands in the world, including Disney, Google, HBO, YouTube, Box. I mean, this list goes on. He's also the author of a really amazing best-selling book that you need to check out called Burn Your Portfolio, Stuff They Don't Teach You in Design School But Should. I came across Michael through an interview he did with the team over at the Future a number of months back about pricing, and that's well worth checking out too. And after watching that, I followed him on Instagram, and I've been incredibly impressed with the quality of posts and the value of the information shared so much so that his feed has become my favorite on Instagram. Michael has such a wealth of experience and a genuine desire to help others that he really stands out on Instagram. In this interview we discuss why your portfolio isn't your top priority, how you can develop your interpersonal skills, building relationships, pricing for design and a few thoughts on using Instagram too. This is a fantastic interview, so let's jump straight into this. Here is the interview with Michael Janda. You wrote the book, Burn Your Portfolio, and that runs through the stuff that they don't teach you in in school, but really should. And I think that's a fantastic book. And as the title kind of mentions, a portfolio isn't that important for success. And I know uh, quite a lot of people listening that's not already familiar with your book might be thinking, whoa, you know, portfolio, that's the most important thing. That's what I put all my time and energy into. Why do you feel it's not the most important thing? So it's, there's no question it's important, but it's only the key to the door that's, that's the big misconception is that we as designers, we spend so much time thinking, oh, our portfolio, our portfolio, we got to get our portfolio done. And, and the subtitle of my book is Stuff They Don't Teach You in Design School But Should. So it really, um, the purpose of the book is to teach these principles that lead to success that aren't the portfolio related stuff. You go to design school and from day one, you're working on stuff you can put in your portfolio so that when you graduate, you've got this portfolio 
that allows you to go out and find a job. But that portfolio really only opens the door for you. It gets you the interview. But your ability to succeed in that company is all about your production skills, about your ability to collaborate with coworkers, your bosses and clients. It's about um, your attention to detail, not just in design, but in the the whole flow of a production. Uh, so this it, it's about relationship building too. You know, success has so much to do with you building quality relationships with your clients, understanding their real problems, solving those problems, and then repeating that over years and years of time. And it's not all about the portfolio. So the portfolio, don't get me wrong, is super, super important, but it only gets you access to the interview. And from that interview, you're, you're going to be selling yourself, the bigger picture you, your ability to see problems, client problems, your ability to interact with the team. It's just, there's so much more than just the portfolio that leads to your success. Mm, I, I totally agree with that. I, I've seen some really talented people out there, uh, but they've struggled to get work. But in comparison, I've seen um, people and I thought that their work's not particularly that great, but they've been able to make all of the right moves to be booked out yeah. months in advance. So there's definitely skill sets that are far more important for designers yeah. beyond just their graphic design skills. Totally. I'm, I'm one of those people, you know, I'm, I'm a good designer. There's no question above average. And I'll say that with the morsel of humility that it takes to say I'm above average because, but I do have a really great art director. eye. like I can critique and, and level up designers. I'm really skilled at that, but I'm not Draplin, man. I'm not this, I'm not this mega designer. I'm not going to go down in history as, Ooh, look at Michael Janda, the, the design czar, but my business was super successful. And it was all because of my ability to uh, run a business. So business uh, fundamentals, business understanding. I have a good intuition for that. But it was more about the, my ability to build relationships with clients, to, to build this, you know, a relationship where they feel like they, they trust me, they want me to do the work. And I think there's a misconception, uh, and I have some posts, planned for this, but there's a misconception in the quality of work needed to succeed because most clients out there will, your, your, your marketing will be successful with like 80% quality design in it. It doesn't need that, you know, ComArts award-winning polish to be able to drive traffic to your restaurant. You don't need, you don't need that level of quality. Now, as designers, we love to strive for, you know, everything. Let's make it award-winning. Let's make it amazing. But, but amazing isn't always necessary. And it's actually usually not necessary to have the marketing be effective. And I think that, you know, that, that's a message that hopefully resonates with a lot of designers out there who admire these amazing designers, but they just can't quite get there themselves. That doesn't mean you can't be successful. There are a lot of soft skills that can lead to your success over the people who have mega polish, great design, but are lacking 
those soft skills, those, those intangibles. Mm. I think that probably gives a lot of comfort to quite a lot of people because I know um, imposter syndrome is very common in the graphic design space. You know, people are looking on Instagram and Christ, yeah. some people's work, because you're seeing the very best in the world, some people's work is incredible. And, it's incredible. Uh, <laughs> it inspires yeah, you, me, you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, but you you look at it and uh, sometimes I wonder, how am I able to get any work when there's people out there yeah. uh, that are doing work that good? Uh, but uh, like you say, there, there are other skill sets beyond uh, graphic design that, that make you a successful uh, graphic yeah. designer. And some of those people that are, you know, they're like savant level designers. Mm. But when you're a savant level anything, it comes with, debilities in other things you know you look at you look at people who are these mega geniuses and they're not the, they're not going to be the one to lead a meeting they're not going to be the one to scope a project but they they have this genius level design and we look at we look at those people as these designers that we admire but oftentimes they're lacking some of these fundamental skills that will lead to success that you could have, even though you don't have that high level polished quality. Mm, mm, very much so. Now, I know you've spoken about these fundamental skills and I know in the in the book you mentioned about developing your interpersonal skills. Yeah. And, and that should really be uh, what you should focus on. I mean, once your work to a certain point, then you should start to focus on your interpersonal skills. Mm -hmm. Would you mind talking through uh, what you mean by that and also how graphic designers can go about improving and, and working on those skill sets? Yeah. So um, I, I love that. And that's the, that's one of the things that I've worked hard on. I feel like I have some natural ability toward that, but I've also learned from experience and from study on what, what interpersonal skills you need to have and how to develop them. So let's just list off a few and then I can give some pointers on, on where to start. Uh, leadership, for example. Take, take a design environment. You can be the greatest designer of all time but if you can't inspire and motivate and mentor other people, you will never be promoted to be an art director or creative director. You'll just be sitting there pushing the pixels. So at some point in your career, your design ability is going to open the door for a promotion. And when that promotion happens, you have to be able to step into a creative director level role that you got because you're a great designer but in order to succeed as a creative director, you've got to be able to sit over the shoulder with other designers and give them feedback in a way that doesn't make them hate you. You have to be able to sit in a client meeting and discuss their business and start scoping a project or a solution to their problems. You got to have some intuition and understanding and some maturity in your ability to speak with others to be able to have the client trust you and sign off on you being involved in their project it has nothing to do with your ability to design. It all has to do everything with your ability to come across as trustworthy and educated and smart. You have to have presentation skills. 
you know, the ability to, to stand in front of clients or a design organization or a, a convention of some kind to stand in front of people and deliver a message that is thought out and eloquent and um, actionable. You've got to be able to do that. These are all interpersonal skills, your ability to relate to others in small settings, medium settings, and large settings. So those are the things that are so, so important. Now, how do you learn these kinds of things? There's a, one of my favorite, favorite books of all time is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It was written 100 years ago. It's a must read for anybody in the world. Uh, it would make the world a better place if we all abided by the, the techniques in that book. And uh, so that's a great, great place to start. Read that book. And it's broken up into, you know, there are probably a hundred principles in the thing. And you could take one principle each day and work on it. So one of the principles is to, to smile. Smile that it conveys a message to other people. I know it brightens other people's days. It makes them feel warm toward you. It actually makes you feel good inside. That's biologically proven that when you smile, it changes, it releases endorphins and and changes the way you actually feel. So you could take a principle like that and practice that for a day. So today is my smile day. I'm going to practice smiling at others and not like weird creepo smiling, but just that simple smile of, of uh, smiling, smiling at other people. And you're going to practice that today. And then the next day, it could be about um, how to ask engaging questions with other people. So how to show genuine interest in other people by asking them questions. And you can practice that technique. And that's the technique you're going to focus on tomorrow. And then over time, you just pick one of these principles every single day from that book and practice it. And over time, as you do this, they become naturally part of who you are. But interpersonal skills, like anything, can be learned. We have to educate ourselves practice and implement those things in our in our lives until they become part of us. We all do this with design. We we start by designing, we look at other people's design work and we start by copying other people's design work to figure out how did they do this. But over time, you get to where you've ingested so much design work from other people and you've practiced so many things that you can open up a blank Photoshop document and create design right out of your brain. But most people can't do that when they first start. They have to go and educate themselves and do it methodically. Uh, it's the same thing with interpersonal skills or business skills or any of the things that we're talking about here. Uh, you you got to learn it, practice it, and then it becomes part of who you are. Mm. I've read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People a, a number of years back, and yeah. there's a lot of stuff in there that it just seems so obvious that you should do that. But once you read it and you do start actually taking action, yeah. it's surprising how much of uh, of a difference it, it makes. And also, I think in, in terms of some of the skill sets that you mentioned, for me, I personally had to learn a lot of those by um, well, because I was thrown yeah. into them, you know, like running meetings for, yeah. for me, I've always been quite an introvert um, and having to to do that at the beginning. It's it, it's daunting, but the more you do it, you get used to it. And um, 
I mean, in terms of like communication skills on, on my side, it's one of the reasons why I do this podcast because I'm naturally, I've always been quite an introvert and and never naturally being that good at conversation. Yeah. So I think it's good to find ways to put yourself into these situations so that you can learn to develop those skills, whether that's just through a hobby. Um, I was speaking to a friend literally earlier. He was talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And uh, it, one of the reasons why I don't play it is because you have to speak to oh. a group of people. <laughs> but actually, that's a really good way to get used to talking to others. So, you know, there's there's loads of ways that you can develop those skills totally, yeah. outside of a professional environment. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is something that needs to be practiced. I'm naturally introverted as well. And, you know, I think a lot of designers there's, there's no real middle ground. Like a designer is really, it seems like just from my couple decades of observation that designers are either very outgoing to the point of flamboyance or they're introverted. There's not a lot of like middle of the road people. So, you know, designers very insecure or very mega outgoing. And there's, there's, it's kind of rare that you have the middle ground and, and by naturally, by nature, I'm introverted as well. And, you know, that's kind of, I was the hide behind my mom's leg kind of guy when I was a little kid, you know, just super insecure and nervous. And, uh, I had to break out of that. And it's, it's still my natural, my natural tendency when I give a lecture, you know, I, I go to a conference and speak in front of a thousand people and my, my natural tendency is, oh man, I'm insecure. And I have to fake it until I get over that, which usually happens in the first few minutes, but I fake it like, okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to pretend in my head that I'm, you know, confident and, and going to go after this. And I act the part, but over time, if you act the part enough, you become the part. It's kind of like method acting, you know, you hear about these method actors that become the role and they take it on full bore. Well, you got to do that in your life. You got to be a method actor until with interpersonal skills until they become naturally who you are. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think when you are working for a company and and um, you're within that team, you are somewhat forced into these specific roles and you have to work through that so i i totally agree it's worth developing those skills and working yeah. on those skills um i mean in in terms of people that work for themselves freelancers is there anything that freelancers could do to work to develop those skills um because like i said when you work for an agency or a company you're yeah. typically forced into those things and you yeah. you you just have to work through it otherwise you don't have a job um yeah, but when yeah. you when you're working for yourself or you're building your own agency it's easy to not pick up the phone or totally not, hide behind uh, your computer yeah yeah yeah, that, yeah yeah do you have any advice for people that are mm. that do work for themselves to push through well it's interesting more challenging things it's interesting because you said you if you work for a company you're forced into it or you don't have a yeah. job yeah. Well, if you're a freelancer and you don't force yourself into it, you're not going to have a job either. <laughs> you have you have to force yourself to get in front of clients and to be a people person or or you're not going to have any clients. They're going to use people that they know, like and trust. That's the the quote. People work with people they know, like and trust. And 
you got to be there, man. You got to be in front of those people to be able to build those relationships. So you've got to force yourself to do it until it becomes comfortable for you. Uh, yeah. It's just so, so important. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. It was the it was the answer that I was hoping for. Okay. So I know a, a key it part. Leading, of what, it was a leading question. <laughs> yeah, it uh, was. So I, yeah. I know a, a key part of what you've spoken about so far is is relationship building, um, and I, I know that's that's critical for anyone that wants to be successful in in their career. What advice can you give to? Um, help people kind of meet and connect with uh, people that could be um, potential clients? Well, the first one I would say is don't discount anybody as a potential client. You don't know if they, you know, I'll give you an example. When I first started my agency, my one of my very first clients was ABC Family. It was the family channel on TV and Disney had had uh, purchased it from Fox and rebranded it as ABC Family. And one of the producers there was somebody who was an intern at Fox Studios when I was working at Fox Studios. And I had one interaction with her while I was in at Fox Studios. She was an intern going to school at UCLA. And um, my interaction with her was that she came to my office to get the style guides for our, our Fox kids brand, which were stored in my office. I was a creative director at the, at the company at the time. And, um, she got those style guides and I stopped her at the door. I handed her the style guides and I started asking her, Hey, how do you like your internship here? How's the UCLA? I would have loved to go to school there. And I just had this just normal conversation with her that I didn't think anything of it. And then over time, she graduated from UCLA, got a job at ABC Family, and started sending freelance work to me. And it was a lot of freelance work. I mean, it was the foundation of my business for the first three years of my business, of my agency. They were my biggest client. And so five years into my agency, I was in LA. I took her to lunch, and we had been to lunch a lot of times and had a great friendship and things. And she said, hey, Mike, you know why I give you all this work? And I said, no, I, I don't. I assume because we do good work and I and we like working together. And she said, do you remember that time I came to your office to get those style guides at Fox? So this is five years earlier. I said, yes, I totally remember that time. That was the first time we ever really talked. And she said, you were you talked to me and you were nice to me. That was her that was her message. That was the foundational conversation that led to a what became a seven year long client relationship to the tune of million plus dollars of revenue for my business because of that one conversation. And so I could have, I think the, the lesson here is that I could have thought I'm the creative director, get this peon intern out of my office. Yeah. get the style guides and go about your day. I could have taken that approach, you know, this proud, approach of thinking I'm better than somebody, but I didn't. I, I treated her like a, a person and I was genuinely interested in her and I didn't do it with the intention that, oh, maybe someday she's going to be a client of mine. I, I had no idea th of that. She's just a normal person. You know, there was no evidence that she was going to be some great producer in Hollywood. 
anyway, um, so it became the foundation. So I think that the lesson here is when you're going to go start trying to build relationships and find clients, don't make the assumption that somebody doesn't have value to you, that the relationship with somebody doesn't have value with you because they're lower on the totem pole than you or that they're still in school or who knows what. Um, you just never know what is going to come of these relationships. So it's called relationship arrogance. There's a, a, a business in uh, a, a networking group that I belong to for a number of years called Corporate Alliance, and they coined the phrase relationship arrogance. When we look at a relationship and we arrogantly think that it is no value to us, and we have to not have relationship arrogance. We have to view everybody as a real person and worth our friendship time and just let let work opportunities come as a byproduct of that not as the intention for the relationship mm, that's a really nice way to uh look at it i know i, I spoke to someone uh last season it was uh, joanna galveo and she spoke about uh, networking as well. And uh, I know a lot of people go to networking events, you know, to, to meet potential clients and, uh, you know, what people typically think is that you go in there with your sales pitch and all this yeah. sort of stuff. But her approach was just be nice to people, make friends, make, you know, become the person that they like to, um, see every time that they, they see you. And yeah. it goes along the same lines as what you were saying that you just, just be nice to people and make friends. And that seems to be the best way to go it, about uh, working on this type it, of thing. It, it is. <laughs> it's because it's because it's so relationship based. Buying creative services from somebody is so it's it's either there are two there are two ways that it that it's done. Number one, it's completely based on price that the buyer cares nothing about the person. They just, they don't care if it's a robot. They don't care if it's a downloadable logo. They don't care at all. They're just price shopping. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin and where the higher dollar jobs are is based on relationships, based on building, trusting real relationships with people. Those are really the only two the only two options in in selling clients creative services. I chose the relationship side of the business, but there are businesses out there that choose the the uh, the financial attractor. They create custom there. They create a, a library of logos. You choose this icon. You type in your text. It exports the logo. You know they're just targeting price shoppers. I target people who are looking for a real relationship that with somebody who can be an extension of their team that can solve their marketing and design problems. That's who I targeted. And, and those people are found in different places than the price shoppers. You can go to networking events and usually networking events are filled with other people that want to build relationships. They want to have that connection with people. And over time, I, I think I would say that the, the two methods there are be nice to everybody. Like you said, that that lady, that lady shared with you, totally agree with that. Be nice to people over time. And, and then number two, don't hide what you do. You don't have to sell them on what you do, but don't hide it. Nobody likes to be sold stuff. 
Well, especially now. I mean, the tolerance for it 30 years ago was a lot higher than what it is now. People now, people want to have this perception of making their own buying decision. That's why influencer marketing is so popular. Product placement is so popular because it, it works in today's buying environment. But you go back 30 years ago and people were selling vacuum, vacuum cleaners door to door and it was a, a legitimate option to go and try and sell people on stuff. Uh, and it doesn't exist that way anymore. So anyway, so uh, build real relationships and don't hide who you are. Those are the two keys to to it. Um, and let the let the purchase decisions come as a byproduct of those two things. Okay, so um, just to expand on from that, when you say don't hide what you do, what, what do you mean by that? How how do you let people know what you do and keep it in keep it in mind what what you do? How are you going about doing that? Okay, so I didn't do it we, before this call. I didn't do it intentionally, but. Um, we, you were, you said, okay, just want to make sure how much time do we have? Do you have something after this? And I said, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I have a, I have a business coaching call and I think it's at 11 and I checked my calendar and it was at 1045. What did you learn from that? Oh, I, I learned that you do coaching calls. Exactly. <laughs> but I didn't sell you on business coaching. You learned it from just natural interaction. And I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't do it to try and sell you or your listeners business coaching. I never do it because of that. Um, I get coaching all the time. I get new new coaching clients all the time just from my Instagram marketing. And I barely ever say anything about coaching. But people know that I do it because they'll hear me mention, make a mention like that, or they'll be interested in my content and because they know I'm design related and they'll see me on a video talking with somebody and they'll say, I wonder what it would be like. This is subconsciously what happens. I wonder what it would be like to be on the other side of the call with him, with me asking him my problems. I wonder what that would be like. They go to my website, they see my coaching page and they fill out my inquiry form and then we start a dialogue. So, but I never, I've never once said, Hey, my name is Michael Janda. If you want coaching, <laughs> call me. It's only, you know, X amount of dollars and th three, three months special. You know, I never do anything like that. It's never, <laughs> never salesy. So it's just in natural conversation when you talk about what you do and your business, you just, that's, that's the not hiding who you are, or what you do, just make it part of the natural communication that you have with other people. I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks, who has sponsored this season of the podcast. As creators, we like to spend our time creating clever ideas that give value to our clients. But a lot of us spend way too much time running our business, doing things like creating invoices, chasing payments and logging all of our expenses. And that's actually where FreshBooks can help. It's an accounting software designed specifically for creative professionals like you that's so easy to use. You'll save hours each week on all of the time consuming admin that you're doing. And that means that you have more time to focus on designing logos and brand identities. Time-saving features in FreshBooks includes creating and sending branded invoices in about 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from your invoices, meaning that your clients can pay faster. 
And when tax time rolls around, you'll also be able to export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, no credit card required. Just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek and enter Logo Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now let's get back to the interview. When you had your own agency, you was working with some incredible companies, including Disney, Google, NBC, YouTube, basically an endless list of incredible uh, companies. Did you utilize relationship building to attract clients like this or uh, was there another intentional approach you took to get clients of that scale? Well, so my, yes. So the short answer is yes, it was all relationship building. Uh, The beginning of my agency was all fear-based business. I, I started my freelancing in, uh, during the tech bubble burst, the tech recession in the early two thousands, it was 2002 and, uh, all the dot coms were failing and, you know, publicly traded companies were going under and it was a miserable time. And that's when I started freelancing and they were all for my original relationships. My first three clients were, uh, ABC family, which was part of Disney, Sony and Warner brothers. And they were three people that were my co-workers at Fox when I was working there. So they started sending me work. And when I started doing work for them, I would visit them, take them to lunch, and they would inevitably bring a co-worker with them to lunch. And now I was making friends with a new person at the table that I didn't know before. So I start building relationships with all of these people inside these first three original clients. And then over time, they refer you to friends of theirs that work at similar companies or Joe from ABC Family leaves and goes to work at TV Guide. And now TV Guide calls me and I have a new client because Joe left his job and got a new job. So over 15 years of I I owned my agency for 13 years, I sold it um, 13 years into it. And then I worked for the agency I sold to for two years. So I had this 15 year uh, agency run. It was almost exclusively that type of sales process. It was build relationships and patiently wait for new opportunities to fall from the sky. And it was exponential growth. So, you know, it takes like, like compound interest, you put a dollar in the bank and over and the bank's a bad example because interest rates are so low on on a savings account. But let's say you you put a dollar in an investment and in the first year it's worth $1 and seven cents. And the next year that dollar seven grows by 7%. And over time, over 40 years of time, that $1 becomes $10,000. And you just had to wait for it to compound on top of itself. And that's what happened to me. And I think happens to a lot of people in business is that those first few years, it's tough. You might start with three clients and to get from three clients to six clients might take you three years of time. But then all of a sudden something happens because you hit a certain relationship quantity threshold that six clients becomes 12 clients in one year. 
and 12 clients becomes 24 clients the year after that because you hit this kind of critical mass moment or this tipping point, as Malcolm Gladwell talks about, where you've you've hit this mass of relationships and now referrals start happening uh, to grow your business. So it's a long cycle, but it's more effective uh, than it is than going and running Google ads, trying to, you know, cold call people through Google ads. You're going to be more effective working relationships over time. And the, the client relationship you have through those is much deeper. I had clients that would make up projects for me so that they could use up the rest of their marketing budget before the, the budget ended. And, and that's, the, that's the kind of clients you want when they're sitting there thinking, okay, we have $20,000 left in our marketing budget for the year. What should we do with it? Well, let's invent this project and spend it on Riser, Mike's agency. And I mean, when you get to that, that's, that's a goldmine of, of opportunity, but it doesn't come without building relationships. Mm. So that's a key part of building those relationships for you actually being physically meeting up with them quite frequently, catching mm-hmm. up with them for food, drinks, you know, yeah. like, like you would yeah. uh, a friend. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Cause I know, I, I know a, a lot of people now, well, me personally, a, a lot of my clients have come through, um, Google search and, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's interesting that a lot of the people that I've spoken to that have been incredibly successful, it has been through face-to-face meeting and and networking and yeah basically doing what you're doing and i I totally understand why you say to read the book how to win friends and influence people because that is exactly what you're doing with this you're being the you know a likable person and they probably want to work with you because they like working with you yeah (laughs) it works And, and i didn't i never did it this is the big trick too is that you can't do it because you're trying to get anything from them like it's, that's the big key because people will smell that and they will be majorly turned off if you're being fake in that relationship. So you genuinely have to do it because you want to be a nice person and you want to ha- make a new friend. You genuinely have to do it that way. You can't do it because you're thinking in the back of your head, I got to be nice to this person so that they give me work. If you do that, people are smart and they'll sense it. They'll sense the, the falseness in that. Uh, you mentioned Google search. You know, let me just comment on that because Google search, um, it, you know, that's an awesome, effective way for you to get a lead, but not necessarily to get a client. So leads are important. But man, if I was getting Google searches or getting these cold leads, people I've never met before, my very first thing that I would try and do would be, hey, thanks so much for the lead. I'd love to jump on a call with you. Can we, can you have 10 minutes tomorrow that we can jump on a call or even better? Hey, thanks for this lead or thanks for, thanks for reaching out. Do you have 10 minutes tomorrow that we can jump on a, on a Skype call so that we can get to know each other for a few minutes and I can ask you a few questions about your project? And then boom, you're trying to change that cold relationship into a warm relationship that is a, you know, a, a budding friendship that's starting. And that's how you turn a cold lead from a Google search into a long-term client for five years that gives you marketing work. So you, you can't just be 
an order taker. You can't just be a robot taking taking orders from them that they have a logo they want to design and you say, okay, I'll send it to you tomorrow. Man, get on the phone, build that relationship because that relationship could be more work from them and it could be work from their coworkers and it could be work from their spouse who's at home. It could just be who knows where it goes, but you got to get your, your relationship quantity built up. Mm, yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I know personally, all of my best clients, they are the ones that I've had long conversations with and we got to know each other properly and, uh, you know, properly understand their business, what they need. And yeah. I, I think re- relationships in, in that sense, you know, having those conversations, it it means that you don't have to be the cheapest option either. Cause I oh, think yeah. uh, people are happy to pay a little bit more than what they expected to for that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That goes back to what I mentioned at the start. There's, you know, there's two ways that people are shopping for this. They're shopping for somebody that they trust and they will pay more money for that, or they're shopping for the cheapest option. And then you're competing with downloadable logos or do it yourself logos. Yeah. And, and that's not a business that I want to compete in. It can work. It works for the, it works for the companies that do it because it's all about volume. Their goal is to sell 10,000 logo downloads a year instead of somebody like you that wants to do a dozen high priced brand identity projects Mm. per year. You know, Mm. it's, it's a totally different game and you got, you got to kind of decide which one you want to play. But as for me and the way I built my relation or my agency was through relationships, like we've been talking about. Yeah, I think to be honest, most people that would be listening to this podcast now will much rather do the uh, proper projects where you're working with the client, you're charging a high amount, but you're doing much less of them over the year rather than just churning stuff out. Nobody wants yeah. to be yeah. a pancake flicker <laughs> with uh, with logos. It's just uh, that's, yeah. that's not a good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's not a good job. That sucks your creative creative oh, yeah, energy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now I know yeah. that we mentioned about uh, pricing and uh, another one of your books, you've got the psychology of graphic design pricing. Yes. And I know pricing uh, with logo design in particular is really hard. I, I know personally I've struggled with that and started with a low price when I first began. And now I'm getting yeah. into the kind of prices that I've um, always dreamt of uh, charging. Awesome. But awesome. In, in terms of working out what to charge, I know you've got some amazing advice on this that I've seen online. So is there any advice that you can give to help people listening better price their their work? Yes. I And I'm, I'm passionate about this because uh, I had to figure out how to price stuff. You know, when I first started my agency, I started freelancing. I had no business knowledge at all. And I couldn't even find the information I needed in how to think about pricing and how to price things right. You could find people who would say, okay, well, figure out your, how much it costs you to make it and then add 20% or 30%. Mm-hmm. You know, you could see some formulas like that, but it's a lot deeper than that. And so I, um, in Burn Your Portfolio, I wrote a chapter called the Fixed Bid Pricing Dartboard. And it talks about the idea that when we're pricing something, how often do you think that you're, you feel like you're just throwing a dart at the board and if it lands on $1,000, you charge 1000 And if it lands on $2,000, you are going to charge $2,000. you are just taking a wild guess, just throwing the dart and seeing where it lands, and then that's your price. And there's no 
there's no method to how you get to that price. And a lot of designers are doing that. They're just pulling a, a price right out of the sky of what they think they can charge. And then they hope, cross their fingers and hope the client approves it. And it's not, not the way to go. So I reverse engineered how I think about pricing and turned it into some formulas for designers to use. And this is the method that I used for projects. We did some massive projects, even half million dollar single project engagements, $300,000 projects, 100,000, a lot of $100,000 projects. So it works for those mega projects. It also works for the smaller projects, you know, a a $1,200 logo, this, this same methodology works. So it's based on three different variables. Variable number one is your production cost. Variable two is the market value. And variable three is the client's budget. And you need to identify a, a, a price for each of those things. So you take production cost and let's say that you charge $100 an hour for your time. This is the simple way for this podcast. But if you get the book, there's mm -hmm. 200 pages that outlines how this is all done. So let's say you charge $100 an hour for your services and you think that this logo is going to take you 12 hours to do. That gives you a production cost of $1,200. Now you go for the market value variable market value is what do other people like you charge for this same type of work that creates a market value so if you know that your friends or other competing agencies who do similar work to you are charging two thousand dollars for logos then you know that that's the market value of the logo and then you go and you ask the client okay well i'm happy to do this logo for you what kind of budget are you working with here are, what do you hope to spend on your logo? And then they say, okay, well, we think we have a budget of about $1,500. And so you get the, the budget out of them. Now you have those three variables. You have $1,200 production cost, you have $2,000 market value, and you have $1,500 client budget. And you weigh those three variables in your decision of what to charge. If it's going to be twelve hundred dollars, so in, in the book I have twelve different scenarios that we face. So let's say you are competing against three other agencies for this work, three other designers, and they all know that the budget is fifteen hundred, and you look at it and say my my twelve hundred dollar budget or my twelve hundred dollar production cost is three hundred dollars lower than their fifteen hundred dollar budget. But some of these other people are going to be charging $1,500. So maybe I'm going to come in at $1,400 for my price to try and undercut their budget a little bit, still keep a profit margin for myself, and have a better chance of landing the work. So that's like one scenario that you would look at. Another one could be, say you have five logo projects you're already doing. Somebody reaches out to you and they say, oh, we want you to do this logo. And you think to yourself, man... I'm not going to do this logo. I'm already swamped. I'm working 60 hours a week. But if the price is right, I'll work 80 hours in a week to get it done. And so the price is right. You know their, their client budget is 1500 The production cost is 1200 but the market value is 2000 Well, I would charge right at the market value. I would say, I'll work extra hours if it's super profitable for me. And I'm going to charge uh, at the top of market value, even though it's above the client's budget. You, you're, you think to yourself, they're going to pay a premium to get me to work 
extra hours. So I'm, I'm not going to go into all of the scenarios, but those three variables become your guiding guiding principles for deciding where to price your work. And I, in the book, I go into the psychology of these 12 different scenarios and where you should try price things based on these 12 different scenarios that we frequently face as designers. Mm. I think that alone is fantastic advice because i know i've i've been in that place so many times when i've been too busy and it's always worth charging more uh you know like you said if the price is right you'll make time for it so i think that in its own is fantastic advice pay me a million dollars i'll fly to london (laughs) and plunge your toilet man i mean that's the thing it's like there's a certain price that will do things and so you got to look at it and and you're the value of your time is different depending on, I mean, if you don't have any work and you really need a client, you'll charge your production costs to get the client. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, you have all these different scenarios and they, they play a big factor into the way we price things. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. And I know, like I said, people always struggle with pricing and I think that alone is amazing advice. And I think if anyone does want to know more, it's worth checking out your book, The Psychology of Graphic Design Pricing. So in the show notes for this episode, I'll include uh, links to that book and also Burn Your Portfolio as well, because I've, like I said, I've, I've not read through them from front to back, but what I have read there absolutely fantastic books and oh, i think you. anyone listening to this will know you know you're you're so good at articulating responses even just on the fly like for yeah, this podcast you. so you know uh those books are going to be jam-packed full of great advice I, I i put a lot of energy and effort into those books uh you know there there's some free uh, free content on both of those books as well on my uh instagram i post six times a week on instagram at least and and a lot of the things that i post are sucked out of those books uh so if you want to kind of dig into those more also my youtube channel i have some of the methodologies of those books uh outlined in my youtube channel videos as well so before you buy you can shop out (laughs) some of the ideas uh a little deeper too yeah yeah and i would say whilst we're talking about that your instagram feed is probably one of the best i've ever seen thank you uh the i know the the sliding carousel things on instagram Uh, there's a lot of people doing that now and it's somewhat overkill but what you're doing is it's full of great content and um you know you can you can scroll back through so much stuff you can spend a lot of time uh just going through your instagram and the way it's done it's very easy to digest that content thank you they all look great and um i know you're getting like what is it ten thousand about More every followers three weeks. a month yeah. about yeah, every that's three weeks incredible yeah i'm super grateful for that you know i burn your portfolio came out in 2013 and i never really marketed it at all and um i was still running my agency i sold in 2015 worked at the agency until the beginning of 2018 and so i never really had time to go and try and build thought leadership and write more books mm. and create more content and so it's so gratifying to me I started my Instagram push back in April and it's so gratifying to me to have found an audience and to have built, you know, a lot of great connections and a lot of great supporters in, in that design community that 
are grateful for my content and share it and give me support and comments. And I, I'm just so grateful for it. It's, yeah. it's just a fun, fun thing for me. I'm, I'm sure you'll get more followers as a result of um, doing this. Cause like I said, it's absolutely fantastic. It's really nice to uh, consume that content. And I know I see other people doing these sliding carousels, yeah. but they're just not as good as what you're doing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I, th I think I think that that's a result of um, your repurposing content. Whilst I see a lot of people on Instagram um, creating content, especially for Instagram, and I yeah. don't know what you think on that, but I just think it's a waste. Well, of, well not a waste of time. It's a lot of effort for uh, what it's worth. But because yeah. you're repurposing content and you have. Um, a book and consulting and all this yeah. other stuff underneath it is it must be a fantastic uh funnel for you it is so yeah it, it's a good funnel um my first few posts were repurposed content but i really really pushed to to make custom content the the stuff that you I, i've never said it anywhere else and i didn't read it anywhere else it's all proprietary content the funnel for me comes from people asking me questions and uh, then I'm like, oh, that's a great question. Let me make some content for you on that. So a lot of my posts are like posts for one person, but I create it because I know that if one person has this problem, then there are probably hundreds more who have this same problem and thousands who will have this problem at some point in their future. So that's where the, the great funnel has been. One of the things I think that my account has grown from is because my content is proprietary. It's not something that I read in somebody else's book. I'm not quoting or outlining somebody else's ideas. These are my systems and processes that I implemented in my business. Not There's no book reports on my, on my Instagram. And that's where I think you get a lot of some of this cliche content, you know, people post the uh, logo is not your brand kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, come on, we've heard this 1 billion times. You're never going to see me quote that on mine. I try and do something unique mm -hmm. uh, on there that people can't get anywhere else. Mm. One one question that is coming to mind and it's something that I've spoken about with, with a number of people, creating those posts, I don't know how long they take for you, but I can imagine people spend a lot of time on that. Yeah. I know with social media, posts have quite a short shelf life. Yeah. So, you know, to create that content, create this lighting carousel, say it takes like two hours. Yes. That's an awful lot, a lot of time for something that could be there online for, you know, 24 hours. Uh -huh. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, like in terms of your business model, I can, I can understand how that could work. But do you advise other people take the same approach? Well, it just depends on where you are in your business. I, um, I'm fortunate and what the return on investment is for yeah. me right now, I am fortunate to be able to work for the fun of it and for the passion of it and not because I'm chasing a dollar. Um, I did that for a long time and I'm, I'm, and was fortunately successful in that. And now I can wake up in the morning and choose what I want to do. So my return on investment is uh, exposure, growth. Um, it is people purchasing my other books and my UX course. It's 
building an audience that in the future, as I release more courses, that I'll have an audience that will buy those more courses that I create. It's that, that's my push. And so for me, it has the value. I'm, I get the return on it. I also do it because it's so fun for me. I, I have a real altruistic perspective on it and I genuinely want to help other people and I reply to every direct message. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm not doing it to build an audience. I'm doing it to genuinely help people and to deliver content that's valuable to people so that they can go through things the easy way and not the hard way like I did. And so that's, that, uh, I get the feel good from it for sure as well. And, uh, I'll say you won't, it won't be the last time you see that content and that won't be the only format that it is in. Um, a lot of my posts are, are primed for future book material. Uh, so when I spend a, a few hours on a post, it's, it's essentially writing a chapter of a next book and I'm just delivering the book as I go instead of releasing mm -hmm. it all in one fell swoop. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Too. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I know over the years when I wrote blog posts, I've, uh, I've recently been able to compile them into a series of PDFs and that could yes. become a product one day. So I think for anyone out there that do want to create these carousels, it's a huge time investment. And uh, you, you kind of validated what I was thinking because I was thinking it's a huge time investment. Yeah. You're spending a lot of time on something that's what there for like an hour or yeah. a day. Yeah. But for you, it's, it's helping with book sales. It's helping with, consulting work it's yeah. it's um increasing your visibility online making you come across as a thought leader mm -hmm. and also it's it's not one-off content it's content that is going to become something else as well so yeah. i understand the value of it and i think anyone that's listening that doesn't have any of that uh, yeah. I, I just think it's it's an unnecessary uh waste of resources and there's better ways to yeah. you know get clients or whatever you know if you want clients build relationships like you said rather than spending two hours creating Building. a carousel <laughs> yeah yeah there's truth to that for sure um i did this you know i think that that's a good perspective on anything so i i started writing burn your portfolio in 2007 and it came after a lecture that I gave in an AIGA conference and uh, I had a great response. And that lecture was about stuff they don't teach you in design school, but should. And when I got on the plane after that lecture, I thought, man, I got to turn this into a book. So I started writing these principles from my lecture into a book. And then over the next, how many years was that? Six years until it was published. My mindset was, I'm going to write this and Value number one is that this principle becomes a guiding principle or a system that is implemented in my business. Um, so I had value for my own agency. Value number two, I thought I can post these on a blog someday and build thought leadership and traffic for my agency by posting all this content on a blog. Or value number three was maybe I'll get lucky enough to have it be published and I'll send it to publishers. So I wrote this entire book, it's 400 pages, and I wrote the whole thing 
not even knowing if I had a publishing deal because I had value option number one and two as my fallback. It was valuable just to my agency or it'd be valuable to a blog. But I did get it published and I was grateful for that. But during the six years when I was writing it, it changed the perspective that I had on everything that happened in my agency. I would have a client uh, problem and I would look, take a step back and think, what could I have done to alleviate this problem so that it never happens again? I'm going to make a system that makes it never happen again. I would have a production problem, a, a project blow up. And I would look back and say, why did this project blow up? And what can I do to make sure it never blows up again? And then I would write a system that would alleviate that problem for the future. And that's the perspective I had while I was creating Burn Your Portfolio. It was fixing my own business, but I was writing it in a way that it could fix other people's businesses too. And I think that there's super great value in looking at life that way. When we're looking at, oh crap, this client, you know, hated the logos I just designed. Well, what did you not do in the process that made them not like the logos? What did you miss? What, what step did you miss so that you can make sure that the next client likes the logos that you designed? And if you start looking at things that way, if you look at the, the problems or the blowups or the mad client experience as opportunities to learn, and then you intentionally structure a system to solve that in the future, poof, there comes a piece of content for you that you can stick on a blog, that you can write, you can make a carousel post in Instagram, or you can compile into a PDF like you're doing, or you can send it to publishers and try and get it published at some point. So it's, it's, uh, it changes. If you, if you look at life this way, I think just life in general, let's just step out of design in general and talk about life, just a bigger picture. And you can have such a better life if you go through it that way. And by the time you're 60 years old and you're the old wise grandpa that your grandkids are sitting on your knee and you're sitting there thinking, and, and they think about you, he's got all the answers. How does he know so much? It's because grandpa spent his life learning from all the experiences he, that he had. Well, you're going to learn a whole lot if you document those experiences and create ways to um, keep them from happening, to, to replicate the good and to uh, make sure that you don't repeat the bad. Mm -hmm. I think there's a mic drop moment there. Mic drop. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. And I think that's a really good way to wrap up the interview as well. Um, so Michael, it's been a, an incredible interview. Um, thank you so much for your time. And I loved it. Thank I, you. I know the uh, people listening are going to absolutely uh, love this and, you know, You've just sold the. You've sold all of your books there. Uh, I think you can hopefully go. get sales on this. Well, uh, like so I said, that's you. not the intention. You know, go get my free stuff first. It's not, I'm not trying to sell books. It's uh, no, it's good. I yeah. want your book now. It's it's got all. It's uh, you know, if you're going out there sharing all of your uh, real life mistakes and the yeah. lessons that you learned from it, there's value in that stuff. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. People need to go out there and buy your book. So I'm yeah. going to be doing that after this. All right. Thank so you. thanks, Mike. It's been really Ian, great. It was to chat great. With you. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. Super fun for me too. So thanks for having me on. 
If you enjoyed this interview, let myself and Michael know by giving us a shout out on your preferred social media platform. It's always amazing to hear from listeners, so please go post. We really want to hear from you. If you want to learn more about Michael Jander, head over to his website, michaeljander.com. And be sure to also check out his incredible Instagram feed too, at Moljanda, as well as his book, Burn Your Portfolio, which is amazing. Alternatively, just check out the show notes for this episode where I'll link to all of that, uh, all of his social media channels, any books and resources mentioned in the interview, as well as A4 transcription too. To find the show notes, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash 6.1. And if you want to talk about this episode with me and over 7,000 designers from around the world, be sure to join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's totally free to join and to find it, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community, making sure to answer the simple questions asked. If you don't answer those questions, you just don't get in. And if you've enjoyed the show, could you be kind enough to write a review on iTunes? Not only is it great to hear from people that have listened, like I've already mentioned, getting reviews on iTunes helps me to reach more people. So if you do enjoy the show and you want to support it in some way, write a review on iTunes and that would be really appreciated. So thank you if you are able to do that. So that is it for this week, but I will see you at the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast. <laughs>